on, you'll be more likely to hear me. Um, so we've been in this series, and that song, you probably heard that, you've heard that song before, right? Like, you can't hardly go anywhere without hearing that song, and it's kind of a summertime song, and uh, it's all about happy, right? I know, you don't want to dance like me, I know, I know. Come on now. So, happy, I mean, now most of us know, like, there are plenty of times, plenty of places in our life, and we know like, not every day is going to be that kind of day, right? There are going to be a range of emotions, a range of things that are going to happen in our lives. But today is really talking about how to make the most of those days, right? And, and also this idea of we're all responsible a little bit for being happy. I mean, that's part of what our responsibility is about. Like, you, you can't just live your life and expect that, like, oh, well, I'm just going to live it any way I want and then expect to be happy. Yeah, I like, yeah, like some of you guys got it, right? Like, yeah. My wife's always asking me to dance like this around the house. Like, she's like can, you, can you dance again? Your dancing is so good. I mean, so, so we have a responsibility in this all. And one of those things, I can think about, like, for instance, one time in my life where uh, I, was building, I was building our deck at our house. And uh, you know how, you know, on your deck you have, like, railings, right? Like a top and a bottom railing. You have the spindles that go in between. And... It's like a 10-man job to put one of those things together. But, hey, I'm like 10 men, so I, like, went after it, right? And I put the bottom, put the railings on. Then you, then you want to put the top rail on, but you've got to keep them all level. And you've got to nail them one at a time. And then as you're doing it, they're, like, coming loose on the other end because it's me who's cutting things, and so nothing's even. And, you know, the, the railings are bowed or so, whatever was happening. I was out there for, like, an hour being frustrated. And my wife came out. And if you know my wife, like construction is really her gig, right? So she came out to give me advice to supervise, and uh, she gave me advice about how I should put these railings together. Now, guys, after an hour of frustration, your wife comes out and gives you advice about how something's going to work. You know how that goes over, right? Like, go back in the house. So she, she got the vibe from me that I heard her, but I really didn't want to listen, go back. And so she left me alone. She went back in the house for a while. And a little bit later, as I was out there longer and it still wasn't working, secretly, I tried her way of doing it. Darn it, wouldn't it work better? Like, didn't it, like, work? And I was so, but you know what the funny part is? So now everything's going together, right? And instead of being happy, I, I'm not happy doing this, right? Like, I, I, when I put this thing together, I'm just, I'm mad. Like, I am angry that this thing is not, like, Why? Because I wanted to be right. I wanted like, to be my way, and here she was right. And I knew, guys, you know what happens when your wife's right about something. She makes sure you know. She, especially, especially when you acted like there's no way that could work. Especially in those cases, at least with my wife, she loves to laugh at me. And like, we laugh together, but she makes a good mockery of it so we can enjoy it together, and I can laugh at myself, too. It's one of the things my wife's taught me to do, laugh at myself. So my point being... In those contexts of life, we all have responsibility for happiness. And that's what Peter's talking about. He's really, in this series, we're talking about living between two worlds. This world that's to come, where we will have joy and happy, and there's be good things to come. But right now, 
We are moving towards that, but we're not there. We're in the here and now. And in the here and now, everything is not perfect. Everything doesn't go our way. Jesus is not ruling. There is not perfect justice and perfect beauty and and awesome moments in our life. There is the here and now. And what Peter's talking about is, listen, I want you to know that in the here and now, you can have more happy days than bad ones. You can move towards the kingdom. You can be a person who follows after Jesus and has more happy days than bad ones because you're a person of the kingdom who wants to give others a taste of the kingdom. Because that's, that's what Jesus calls us. That's what following Jesus is all about, giving others a taste of the kingdom, tasting it yourself, seeing that it's good, and saying, I want, it, I want to set that up for other people too. Now, there's two major contexts we all live in when it comes to this happiness and our responsibility in it, right? For, and Peter talks about a whole bunch of them. Okay? He talks about a lot of different contexts. And I'll just pick two today, two examples to look at, two places where most of us live. One is at work, right? Like, if you work, a third of your life is going to be spent at work. So it might be good to figure out how to be, have some more happiness, have more happy days at work. The other third of your life is where? Home, right? Or not at work, right? Like, yeah, there's another third that's asleep, Okay. You be as happy as you want when you're asleep. The older you get, the more happy you are when you're asleep, right? Like, like when you're young, you're like, oh, I got to sleep. When you're, the older you get, you're like, yes, I get to sleep. Like, and the more I get to sleep, the happier I am. But these two major contexts, when you're awake, home and work, that's what we're going to talk about. Peter addresses both of those contexts. He says, if you want more happy days than not, I want to talk to you about them. And he has, in chapter 2, a huge list of advice good things, how to be a follower of Jesus, how to be a part of the kingdom, how to have a happier life. And then he sums it all up at the end. And he says, out of all this stuff, let me say it a different way and let me sum it up this way. If you want more happy days, you want to enjoy life, then do those things. And you'll set yourself up for a context, a more likelihood of enjoying life. So if you get out your outline today in your program guide, you can follow along. And we'll talk a little bit more about what does this look like? What is Peter's advice in this way? So we're talking about the question then of how do I have a happier life? How do I live a happy life? What's that all about? And the first one is all about submitting. Peter's going to talk about submission as a way to at work to be happier, to create a context for happiness. Now, probably as I'm saying that, some of you are in your mind thinking, That sounds antithetical. Like, really? Like, if I submit, if I put myself second instead of first, you're saying I'll be happier. I don't think so. You're going, how does that work? How can that possibly go together in like, if I do what someone else wants instead of what I want, I'll be happier. And that's what Peter's conversation is about this morning. And Peter's especially good at this because you got to recognize something about Peter. Peter's someone who followed Jesus and something incredibly happened in his life to transform his life because Peter didn't start off as someone who would talk about submission. Peter was a really bossy kind of guy. That's just, that's kind of who he was. When Jesus met him, he was his own boss, ran his own company, right? You know, most entrepreneurs, why they become entrepreneurs besides like they're all creative? They don't like to work for anybody else, so they start their own business, right? They're bosses. And so, do you know what Peter did when he started walking with Jesus, following him with these other guys? He liked to boss them around, right? always jockeying for position, bossing other people around. And when he wasn't bossing the other disciples around, guess who he'd like to boss around? Jesus. 
That didn't always work out so well for him. But he tried. You've got to give him credit for trying to boss Jesus around. That's where he came from. But after he had followed Jesus, after Jesus had had this profound effect on his life, he realized how important submission was, how unhappy he was living the other way, and how much joy there was in living Christ's way, the kingdom way, how there was happiness in it. So what does that look like? Peter goes through a whole list. If you go back to chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, you'll find a whole list where Peter's basically saying, Submit, submit, submit. Submit wherever place you find yourself. Submit to as many people as you can find yourself in. So long as you're submitting to God first, this is about submitting to God's way, and part of God's way is placing yourself under the authority of others willingly. And so in the work context, Peter starts in chapter 2, verse 18, to talk about this work context. So he says, You who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters with all respect. Okay, let's stop there for a second. So let's address this whole slave thing for a second so you're not distracted by it the rest of this passage. He's talking about a work context, but specifically he's talking about Roman slavery. There were laws that governed Roman slavery, and in the first, first century, in this time period, Rome was the empire, and people became slaves because they were in debt. People became slaves because their nation got conquered and they became slaves. But slaves were people like engineers and teachers. And sometimes slaves were also people who had been like a punished. It was like a punishment for crime, okay? And that was the worst kind of slave that you wanted to be because then you were working in a mine. Your life was probably going to be shorter. It wasn't a good situation. But many times, slaves were even property owners. Like, they had certain rights that were given to them. So there's this large context of slavery, and Peter is not endorsing slavery. In fact, the Scripture speaks against it a lot. Peter's really saying while you are in the here and now, you are going to find yourself in situations that for the time being, you cannot change. And while you are there, be a person of the kingdom. While you're there, if you want to have happier days in a situation that's not so happy, here's my advice to you about how to operate, how to give other people the taste of the kingdom, including your boss. Okay? So this is the context for it. It says, You are slaves, accept the authority of your masters with respect. Do what they tell you. Not only if they are kind and reasonable, many of you have bosses, they are kind and reasonable, but even if they're cruel. And some of you have those bosses too. Some of you probably show up, think about your job, and you're like, yeah, it kind of feels like slavery. Yikes, I show up there, I get told what to do, I don't like it, I don't like my boss, and you're in that kind of a situation, you relate highly, but Peter says, Listen, there's two situations here. You might be in a great place. Like, yeah, it's, it's not the place that you dreamed of or it's not the place in your work context that you'd love, but it's not so bad. And your boss is generally pretty good to you. And some of you might be in places that it's not so good. And he says, in both places, submit. Why? For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. You see there's a priority here. You see what Peter's setting up. You're going to be in a work context. You're going to be in situations. And he says, I want you to be a person of the kingdom. I want you to act like Jesus where you do what is right. So even when you're in a situation where someone is asking something morally wrong and you're saying, "I, I can't do that, He's saying you can still submit to authority and take the consequence. You can still do what's right, even when someone's asking you wrong. But 
for the most part, you put yourself under their authority. And why would I want to do that? It says, patiently endure the unfair treatment. He says, well, first of all, I want you to know that there's two contexts here, right? There's those who do it willingly. And you'll see that he says, you'll amazingly, you'll amaze people. You will leave them in stunned silence if you do this. And then there's those of us who, like, we do the wrong thing and we don't really want credit for it. You know what I mean? Like, you set up a situation to go bad, you acted, you behaved badly, and then there's a consequence to it. You're like, what? Uh, what? Like, my kids are good. Like, what? Uh, Dad, come on. Go easy on us. It's not so bad. Like, you get it, right? We still do that. We do that for ourselves. We all are in places where we're like, I'd rather just not have the consequence for that. But Peter says, listen, if you, if you do something wrong and you endure the consequence for it, that's just the way the world works. You don't get credit for that. What he says is what you get credit for is if you suffer for doing good and you endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. In fact, in this passage, he actually says, you will leave people in stunned silence by doing so. You amaze people. You will give them a taste of the kingdom because the kingdom is not about pushing back and having our way. The kingdom is about placing ourselves under authority and being the kind of people who put ourselves under God's authority and then put ourselves under the authority that the situation we're in because of God. Now, I know that this is I know this is a concept, but I just want to I just want to help set up some context for it. In that, when it comes to this whole idea of submission, some of you are probably still questioning your mind, like, eh, maybe. And some of you might be just still checking out Jesus and going, I don't know, like, okay, maybe the reason is because you want to be like Jesus, but I'm not sure I want to be Jesus like that. Just really make happier days. So let's let's just do a little test here. So let's say instead of submitting, we do other things. Now, I know that all of you, you're, you're really good at this, right? You place yourself under authority. You don't have any problems with it. But I bet you have a friend at work who doesn't submit so well. So maybe you can give me some ideas about your friend who doesn't submit so well. What do they do? What, do your, what, do your friend, what does your friend do when he doesn't submit so well? Give me some ideas. What, what things happen instead of submitting, what do people do? Argue, right on. Yeah. I, I don't like what you're doing. I'm going to argue about it. Even after I've been heard, I will continue to argue about it. I will, like, throw the gauntlet down. Yeah, we get it, right? That, it's unfortunate your friend does that. That's bad, right? Like, okay, who else? What else? What else do our friends do? What's that? Complain, right on. Yeah, that's a good one. Do you know what the boss just asked me to do? Can you believe how stupid those higher-ups are? They made that decision. I love that Pennsylvania term, higher-ups. Like, I don't even know what that exactly means, but it's such a Pennsylvania term. Those higher-ups do, you know, they complain, right? We complain. What else do we do? We quit, right on. We just walk away. We, I showed you, now I'm unemployed. Ha! Fixed you. Yeah, what else do we do? Procrastinate. Yeah, that's a good one. We procrastinate. We, we put things off. We say, no. I, I, I used to, when I worked in the marketplace early in my days of following Jesus, I had this rule with my boss. It's, I call it the three delete rule. And so, like, if he sent me an idea and I didn't like it, I would delete it the first time I saw it. I'd read it and I'd just delete it. Then he'd send it to me again. And as he sent it to me again, 
I'd read it. I'd think, mm, well, maybe I should consider it. But then I'd delete it again. And then if he sent it to me one more time, like, hey, are you doing anything about this? Then I figured, well, he hasn't forgotten about it yet. So it must be actually something he wants me to do. And I'd go ahead and do it. I am not at all saying that was a good idea. Don't try that with your boss. It's not what I'm saying today. I'm just saying my friend did it that way. So what, anything else you could think of? What are other things? Oh, right on. Uh, John, I'm going to put that this way. Kick the dog. Only because I have a rat dog that sometimes, you know, just kick the dog. Right? I come home and I kick the dog. I'm mad. I am grumpy. It's happened at work. Now I'm home doing this, right? Okay, now, so whether you take Peter's advice here in, like, terms of what God's going to be pleased with, just answer this question for me. Any of this look like happy to you? So we, we do this, and yet I see you all there shaking your head going, yeah, that's not, there's nothing about this list that looks happy. There is no way I can have happy days if this is my context, if this is what I do. And so God gives us this advice. Peter's passing on this advice to us. If you want to be happy, if you want to have happier days than not happier days, I've got some good advice for you. This is not the way to go. Instead, submit. Learn to submit. Because that's not a happy way. And Peter goes on to say, listen, here's, if you're a Jesus follower, let me lay down the gauntlet for you. If you've decided to follow Jesus, if you haven't decided to follow Jesus yet, you're off the hook except this is a good reason. Do it anyway, right? But if you're following Jesus, Peter says, then let me lay down the gauntlet. This is what I want to tell you. He says, for God calls you to do good. Even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you, He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. Christ is your example, and if you say you follow Jesus, then you better follow Jesus. If you say you follow Jesus, you better walk in his steps. Your life better look like Jesus. What does Jesus' life look like? Well, he never sinned, never deceived anyone. Jesus' life didn't include things like complaining like procrastinating, like kicking the dog. Like he, he said, you know what? My happiness is not going to depend on me taking it out on other people when situations don't go the way I want. And that happened a lot for Jesus. Things didn't always go the way I wanted. People showed up in his life to give him a hard time. And so he learned. Peter watched his life and he said, this is what Jesus' life was like. He didn't deceive. He didn't complain. He didn't say yes to do it and then try to, try to do it the wrong way or try to like sabotage it later. Not Jesus' life goes on to say, he did not retaliate when insulted. How many of you are good at that? Like, you know what I'm saying? Don't raise your hand. But how many of you are really good at the like, oh, you got an insult for me? I got one for you. I've been waiting on it. In fact, I wrote it down last week. I'm like George Costanza. I've been waiting to use this one for a long time, right? Like, you're just good at it. Someone brings something up to you, and you have a litany of things that they've done wrong. And so you've got more insults, things to poke them with. He says, don't don't do that. If you want to be happy, just follow Jesus' example. He didn't retaliate when he was insulted, nor did he threaten revenge when he suffered. Why, why did Jesus live this way? How could someone be on this planet, be a kingdom person, have happiness, and not take care of themselves, not put themselves first? How come he could do that? Because he left his case in the hands of his boss. Nope. 
He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He said, I know something that I want you all to know, that this life is not all there is. There is a next life, and we are between two worlds. And I want you to know that if you want to be happy here and now and give other people a taste for it, give a context for the kingdom, then make the choices that Jesus made and leave your case in the hands of God. Trust God for the outcome because people are all, they're not going to do the right thing all the time. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're going to reward your good behavior. But you know the saying, right? No good deed goes unpunished. Sometimes you could do the right thing and someone's not going to appreciate it. But you did the right thing for God and you accept the consequence with grace because you know that you've left your case in the hands of God who has the kingdom forever, who you will be with forever. And by doing so, you have some more happiness. Now, typically, I think in most relationships, this list comes from pride, right? We want to be right. We want to have our way. We're better than someone else. All of those things cause us to go into these modes. Pride is this place that tends to isolate us from God, tends to isolate us from other people because these things are not things that bring people together in relationship. They divide. They keep us from relationship. Pride tends to have the opposite effect of love. And worse than that, Peter's really saying is when you act in pride instead of these ways, as a Jesus follower, it sets you off in the opposite direction of Jesus. Pride sets you in the opposite direction of Jesus' life because Jesus' life was one about submission. But submission, submission builds bridges in people's lives. When I was growing up, um, there used to be this show on it was Happy Days. I think I saw it. In re- I'm sure I saw it in reruns. Some of you may have seen it in first showing. Some of you might not even know what Happy Days. Anybody know what Happy Days? How many do I have to explain Happy Days at all? It's a show from like the. It was based, supposed to be based in the 50s. It's a guy on it named Fonzie. You all know who Fonzie was. Hey, right? What was those of you who've seen it? What was Fonzie's problem? What was it that he could never say? Sorry, right. Like he could never get it out. He was too prideful. He had to be right. This, this is, that kind of describes the, the family environment that I grew up in. Okay? All the Andrews men in our family, the Andrews side of the family, they, they had a lot of pride. They, they loved to be right. They were willing to argue their case even when everyone knew. You know when, you get, like when you're arguing your case and you, everyone's watching it go down and you're saying ridiculous things, right? Because you just, you have to be right. So you're making ridiculous arguments, ridiculous case. And in my family, it was like the loudest person wins. So if you're really, really, really loud, you were right, right? That's just the way it worked. The problem with that was, and I didn't recognize this as much growing up, the problem with that was there was a lot of cutoffs in my family. I mean, pride regularly isolated people in my family. Brothers and sisters didn't talk to each other for years. Parents cut off from their, from their kids for years. Always these cutoffs. And I remember carrying that through into my first professional job. I was a computer programmer um, when I first got out of school. And as a young man, I was just coming to Jesus, and God was still transforming these places in my life. So I had no idea that I, you know, you have these default patterns in your life, and God's still kind of, it's a good thing God doesn't like open the doors to all the ugly things in our life, or we would be like, ah! So God opens them just one at a time. And so I learned this lesson. I was at work, and I was a computer programmer, and I was on call. And being on call meant when something was running on the mainframe at nighttime, and a program crashed or didn't work, 
you got to get up and fix it in the middle of the night. It was wonderful. And back then, you got to dial in to the mainframe on a 2400 bond modem. And so this is like the, the noise that you awake to when you're like trying to wake up. And you do that about six times, and finally it connects. And then back then, you had this like green screen, and it had to fill up with all the letters and numbers that made the program. But they would be shipped. Each, each letter that came to your screen was shipped by dog sled from Alaska. Okay? So you... Right? And in the middle of the night, this is what you're doing. And so you have to fix, like, you have to go through pages. And you'd like, you'd like page ahead, and it would be like nothing would happen. And all of a sudden, it would be like, and you're like, no, that's way too far. So this was my frustration. Hours in the middle of the night. And as a bonus in those days, working for writing, when you got to stay up in the middle of the night for three or four hours, you still got to go to work at the same time. Like, wow, what a bonus. So I went into work, and I was totally grumpy. I was ticked off at the world, and so I sent this email out to my team, a scathing email about what idiot would do this, and I can't believe this. I had to stay up all night and fix this. This is, a, this is the stupid line of code, da 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 on and on and on, right? You see it, right? Going on. My friend did that stuff. And so after I sent the email, guess who I found out did it? My boss. Oops. <laughs> right? Not, now, I will say... Uh, he had a very frank conversation with me. Um, he could have done a lot worse, but he was very gracious. And I was very lucky that he was very gracious. I didn't deserve what he gave to me that day, but he gave me some good correction. I would never do that again. My point being that for a while, I really had to earn back his respect. I had isolated myself. I had created cutoffs with my team. Do you think any of them would trust me again with anything they did? Like, but it was a default behavior. It was the way, I, there was not happiness as a result of it. And then you might be sitting there saying, no, Sean, yeah, well, that, your, your boss must have been a good guy because you don't know the guy I work for. I mean, he is an idiot. Like, he's like the pointy-haired boss. I mean, he couldn't find a way out of a wet paper bag or that guy I work for, like, he would never do that with me. He would just, he'd just fire me. He's just, he's just hard. You don't know the people I work with. They are, they're like coworkers, man. This is like, this is their life. I could never do anything different because this is the way my work works. Here's what I've discovered in my life, though. Submission is not so much about what you do for someone else. It's about what you do for yourself. It's about defeating pride in your life. About setting up a context for people around you to have relationship with you. And Peter says, if you're going to follow Jesus, that's the way he lived. I love the way Thomas Akempis puts this in Imitation of Christ. It's a quote from Thomas Akempis, and he says it, as if God is speaking to us about Christ. It says, why is it so remarkable to you? If you who are dust and nothingness submit yourself to another person for God's sake, when I, the Almighty and Most High, who created all things out of nothing, humbly subjected myself to others for you, I became the most humble and abject of all so that you might conquer your pride through my humility. Submitting to no longer be a servant of our own selfishness, our own way of life, defeats our pride and brings us happiness. Which one sounds like you might want it? 
Open your life to it. And Peter ends his conversation like this. He says, if you want to enjoy life and see happiness and keep many happy days, then keep yourself from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. What, how is that a summary? What does it summarize? Right? It's the litmus test. Peter's saying, listen, if you want more happy days, of all these things I've told you about, like the context that you're in, the litmus test is this. If you want to know if you're really submitting and you're submitting willingly, then when you walk away, don't be telling lies. Don't be speaking evil. If you speak evil, you're not really submitting. And if you want to be happy, then walk away and say, you know what? There's some freedom in just saying, not my decision. So I guess I'll carry that out. Not my preference, but that's okay. Not my decision. I'm not responsible for it. I just I'm going to get this done. There's some freedom in that to just be happy, be okay with it, willingly and impressively, not act like people who don't know Jesus, who don't have a picture of God's kingdom and what it looks like to follow Jesus. So Peter says, this is the way you can have more happiness at work. Have happier days. Submit. Just submit. Submit willingly. But then he goes on to talk about the second context, and that's at home. And he gives a whole bunch of advice about how to act with others at home. All these different relationships. And I just want to take a couple excerpts. He gives a lot of good advice. I'd encourage you, go check out chapter 3 of 1 Peter. You'll get a ton of advice about how to interact at home. I just want to take a couple excerpts to show you this theme. Now, some of you may have heard in this home front the saying, happy wife, happy... Right, right. See, wives all know it, right? You all know, you're like, oh yeah, I know that one. So I say it, I tell my kids that all the time. Now the context isn't like, well, if mom's unhappy today, we all have to be unhappy, whatever. Like, that's not really the context. For them, I let them know, when you've offended mom, when you've done things to tick off mom, and mom's not happy... I'm not happy. And when I'm not happy, guess who else isn't going to be happy, right? You're not going to be happy. Why? Because we have no peace in our home. You've caused disharmony in our home. And that sets up a context for arguing and complaining and procrastinating and quitting and kicking the dog. All those things happen because we haven't honored each other. And that's what Peter's talking about here. I'm going to dedicate some time to helping you honor each other. So whether you're married or want to be married, whether you're a parent or a sibling, what Peter's talking about here is really fully contextual about, I want to give you some good advice. Here's his advice. Chapter 3, verse 4. You, and he's talking to wives, says you should clothe yourselves instead. Okay, before this he talks about, hey, you know, you could dress up, you could look good, and there's not a husband in the room who's going to complain about, whoo, baby, you look good. And I like it when you look good, right? No husband's complaining about that, but Peter says, instead, give an even greater gift. Clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, an unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is so precious to God. He says, listen, gals, man, when you're married, like, you want to give your husband a great gift? Give him this beautiful gift of what happens in you, that what God has, wants to do in you, that's a quiet, gentle spirit, something that nurtures them, something that's good for them. Work on that. That's a great gift to give away. And he goes on to husbands. He says, in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat them with understanding as you live together. I'm not saying, Peter's not even saying, like, you will understand your wife, guys. Like, I get it, okay? Who knows the mind of a woman, right? Like, it's, it's, it's an unfathomable mystery. But Peter is basically saying this, you should try. So, 
Like if you're a guy and you're watching your TV show, you're watching your ESPN sports channel, and your wife's talking to you, and the best that you've given her is you've cashed in your head the last like 10 words, so when she says you're not listening, you can repeat them back, and then she's all ticked off. She's like, darn, he was, he, I have no proof now. The whole point is treat your wife with understanding. In other words, say like, she's talking to you. Pause the TV, turn the TV off, treat her with understanding. Say, I want to hear you. I want to understand you. I want to come to an understanding with you. And then he says, goes on, he says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other. Be tender-hearted. Have a humble attitude. Here's the real clincher. Don't repay evil for evil. So in your home context, in your context with others, don't repay evil for evil. We're really good at that, right? Like we, we are really good at this whole, like don't retaliate when someone insults you. Like don't raise the bar and have lots of bad things to say about them when they insult you. Don't do that. Well, that's something that we're all natural at. We do it when we hit the road. Like after church, you're going to be on your way home, someone cuts you off, and you're going to come up with all kind of retaliation methods in your mind, right? You may not do something back to them, but I'd be willing to bet that you'll make something up to do that, like the rocket launchers that come off the side of your car and take them off the road, or the big, big like spatula that comes under the car and flips them up in the air. Like you've got, you've got, you've got a great imagination going on. Peter says, "Listen, don't, don't follow that through. Don't let that lead you, because it's not going to lead you to any place good. It's not going to lead you to happiness." He says, "Instead, instead, pay them back with a blessing." When someone insults you, when they do you wrong, instead, if you want to be happy, instead of paying them back, do good. Pay them back with a blessing. Bless them instead. Here's, if I had to sum this up, I think I'd say it this way. Peter's basically summing up this section by saying, listen, it is better to do good than to feel vindicated. Always better to do good than to feel vindicated. You can walk away from an argument. You can walk away from a person. You can do all kinds of things to not honor them, and you can feel vindicated, but you won't feel happy. And it's been my experience that when you do good, and you do good over time consistently, you start to feel good. Happiness comes with that. Even when the other person's not reacting well, when you know what done's right, something deep within you wells up and said, I have loved well. I have done right. And as a result, I'm happier. Peter says, do good. And there's a priority to this, right? Like, so one time I remember complaining to a mentor about a relationship I had with someone. And he said to me, Sean, is it more important to you to be right or to be in relationship? Because it sounds right now like you'd rather be right than be in that relationship. You need to seriously consider that. And Peter's, basically everything Peter says is just about that. You've got to choose. Which would you prefer? You want to be right and have your way and be isolated? Or do you want to be in a relationship? In other words, this is about approach. I mean, if you've ever been in a relationship with a husband or spouse, and you knew you were right, and you told them why you were right, and then still had to apologize for it later. You ever had that happen? Like, you knew you were right. Everything you said was right. But how you said it was not. I've had to do that with my kids. I was right. I told them the way it was going to be. I said it with emphasis and passion and then later went back and apologized to them because approach is important. Because God says, prioritize love. Prioritize relationship. I mean, you can speak truth into someone's life 
But when you do it the wrong way, you've still broken God's heart. And you still won't have happiness. And that's what God is saying here. Give priority to that. Prioritize that. It's not always about being right. And half the time, our arguments about right are not really about moral rights, right? They're about preferences. They're about, you didn't put the toilet paper on the right way. You never put the toilet paper on the right way. Drives me crazy. You don't put the toilet seat down. Do you know what it feels like to sit in the water in the middle of the night? Right? I'm here for you, ladies, okay? I've been trained. So like, there are all these preferences. You squeeze the toothpaste in the middle instead of rolling it up. Preferences, preferences, preferences. And we make virtues out of these. Like These are morally right and wrong subjects. And the real virtue is not those preferences. The real virtue is love. Honor. To honor someone else pleases God and sets you up for a context of joy and happiness. Approach is important. And that's why Peter's advice ends with this. He says, if you want to be happy, if you really want to be happy and have happy days, then turn away from evil and do good. Better to do good than feel vindicated. Search for peace. Work to maintain it. And the eyes of the Lord will watch over those who do right. And His ears will be open to their prayers. Too often, we set ourselves up for these contexts and we close ourselves off from a relationship with God because we're working so hard to be right and put ourselves first. God says, honor others. And when you do, when you submit and you honor, you'll follow the way of Jesus and your relationship with God will be open. And He'll be able to hear you and you'll have this great relationship with Him. And you'll be in a good context for Him to bless you. So this morning... I just want to take a moment. I want you to reach in your outline, pull out this little card. Let me tell you what I want you to do with it. I want you to, want you to think about a person. Think about a person in your life. Now, we talked about two contexts, work and home. Maybe some of you, when you think about work, there's a coworker or your boss, someone in authority that you just know, like, yeah, I've not had an attitude of submission but one of pride. I've... I've separated myself. I've contributed to a context that I don't want to contribute to anymore. And today I want to give you an opportunity to write that person's name down. Let us, as our elders and prayer team, to pray for that, that person or that position in your life that you want to submit to, that you want to change, that you want to surprise them, because that's my challenge this week. Surprise that person with new behavior for one week and test God's advice. Consistently surprise them. Maybe it's at home, you think about honoring, and you go, yeah, I've not been, my approach has been wrong, and I need to apologize for that, and I need to work on a new approach. Maybe you need to do something like just make a list of that person in home context who you've not treated well, you've not honored, and say, I'm going to make a list of all the good things, all the things I appreciate about them, all the good things in their life, and then I'm going to read it to them. And I'm going to reinforce in my life that I do appreciate them, that I do honor them, and I'm going to let them know it. Find a way to honor them this week, whether it's your kids, or your spouse, or your roommate, or siblings, whoever's in your life that you've chosen not to honor. Pick this week and surprise them. and See if it doesn't make you just a little happier, a little more fulfilled in your heart. I think you'll find that doing good, submitting and honoring, will be better than feeling vindicated. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you love us enough that you came on the cross to set us free. Free to forgive, free to bless others. That you tell us, be a blessing to others. Be a person who follows me and gives people a taste of God himself. So God, help us to submit to the authority that you put in our life. 
Help us to do submit to you first and then to them. Help us to honor others in our life, to let them know that they're honored, that we love them, to love well. And God, I pray that in that you would fulfill your promise, that we would see more happy days, that we would find a little more joy in our life, and that we would know it's all from you. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.